please bow your heads before we read God's word. Dear Lord, thank you for your written word and the mighty truths it contains. We pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts and minds to the truths that you wish us to see. Amen. Please turn in your pew Bibles to page 976 as we read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of God for the people of God. So there are times in, uh, in my Christian walk when I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I said this morning, I wouldn't say that it's cocky, but comfortable. Uh, I feel like I'm getting things right, I'm reading my Bible, spending time in the Word, making it to church. Uh, and then I come to a passage like today where I'm forced to dig in. I actually have to do some real studying to prepare, prepare for this. Um, and I think... Uh, after doing that, maybe not so much. Such as the Christian life, we're always growing, always maturing, always seeing new things about ourselves. And I'm thankful for these moments because this is God's work. In prayer, our topic today is one of those areas where I have been feeling pretty good about myself. Concerning prayer, there's a, a book that came out a few years ago. You might know the author, Donald Whitney. Uh, it's called Praying the Bible, and in this book, he does just that. He shows us how to pray by praying the words of Scripture, and it's a helpful book. I remember reading it. It was uh, a big help to me, but I remember one thing that he said concerning why it's so difficult or why Christians struggle so much to pray. He said, why don't the people of God enjoy prayer more? He says, I maintain that people truly born again, genuinely Christian people often do not pray simply because they do not feel like it. And the reason they don't feel like praying is that when they do pray, they tend to say the same old things about the same old things. Now, as I just mentioned, this is an area where I felt pretty good about myself. And in fact, over the last couple of years, I've made a, a really good effort, I think, in trying to develop the discipline of prayer in my life. And, and I say it's a discipline because it's not really that easy all the time. I struggle with it. And uh, even though I'm praying a lot, 
I catch myself from time to time praying the same old things about the same old things. And that's what's so comforting about our passage today is that just like Whitney talks about in his book, God himself through the Apostle Paul shows us how to pray. He gives us the words and all we have to do is act. But before we get into the meat of the prayer, I want us to take just a second to look at the heart of Paul toward the Ephesian church. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul is thankful for the Ephesians. I think it's important for us to take just a second to look at why that is the case. If you read the first part of this chapter, you don't hear uh, Paul mention any financial help that the Ephesian church has given him. So that's not it. You don't hear him uh, talk about that they've been praying for him, although I'm sure they have been, but that's not it. And if you, if you dig in, you don't really see anything that he mentions as to why he is so thankful for this church, except that they are trusting in Jesus and they love the saints. Look again at verse 15. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you all remembering you in my prayers. And I believe that in this short introduction to this prayer, Paul, without us even realizing it, gets to the heart of what it means to be a Christian, and that is we trust in Jesus and we love each other. So I think he's really pointing to this, and, and I say that because of what he says in verse 22 and later on in verse 4, and that is that we are thankful for each other and we remember each other because we are all members of the body of Christ. He speaks to this intimate relationship that we have with each other most clearly in 1 Corinthians 12. He says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, all were made to drink of one spirit. He skips down a few, a few verses and he says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And then Jesus, in one of the Gospels, says about us, the body, by this, all people will, you know, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, assuming here today that we're all completely trusting in Christ, that we're wholly trusting in him, it's a little time for some self-reflection. Do we love the body of Christ? And if so, are we like Paul? Are we thankful for each other? And how do we communicate that? And are we praying for each other regularly? Those are just a couple things I think it's important for us to look at as we move into this prayer because Paul is praying for a church. And it's a good example for us. So there's three petitions in this, in this uh, prayer I want to look at. Starting in verse 17, he prays for them that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, that's where I want to settle in for just a minute, in the knowledge of him. I'm sure that the Ephesian church uh, had a lot of the same issues that we have today. And I say that because if you look at the Ephesus of the first century, it looks a lot like us. Okay? They were the capital of the province of Asia for the Roman Empire, which means they were a thriving city. Ephesus was one of the five most prominent cities in first century Rome, so they were a wealthy city. 
And their most famous civic monument was the goddess, uh, temple of the goddess Diana. Uh, it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, which means it was a pagan city. So just like us, they had all the regular issues of life, work, family, friends, health, community, government. All the things that we as Christians are and should be praying for, they had. So just like us, they lived in a sinful world and they had needs. I think the only real difference, relatively speaking, between us and them is it was so much harder for them to be a Christian than it is for us. They risked their lives for the name of Christ. And in all this life that's happening to and around the Ephesians, I find it very interesting that the first thing Paul prays for this church is that they know God. I think about it this way. If this is first on Paul's prayer list, then it must be pretty important. In fact, Jesus says in his high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So I think Paul gets it right. That if Jesus himself says knowing God is eternal life, then we must take it seriously. So it calls for the question for me, what's going on with the Ephesian church? Have their hearts grown cold? Have they lost their first love? Because if you go to Revelation chapter 2, this is the charge that Jesus brings against this church, that they have lost their first love. And then I must think, well, how about me? Could this be said of me? Could Jesus say this about me? In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the Father. And they're struggling to get what he's saying, like, kind of like normal. Uh, but it's a popular verse. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. A couple verses later, he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So if what Jesus is saying is true, that if knowing him is knowing the Father, then where we find more of him should be obvious to us. And that's in his word. And I would submit that if we want to know Jesus, if we want to know God richer and deeper, then we must spend time in the word. Jab Packer, one of my favorite authors, he has a book, and it's a fitting title for a book concerning this conversation. It's called Knowing God. And in this uh, section that I'm fixing to reference, he's talking about knowing God through Scripture. He says what happens is, is that the Almighty Creator, the Lord of hosts, the great God before whom the nations are as a drop in the bucket, comes to you and begins to talk to you through the words and truths of Holy Scripture. Now, I want to take just a second to think about that. Think about the words that Packer just said and let them sink in. The Almighty Creator, the Lord of hosts, the great God, the great God who we came here to worship this morning has spoken to us. We have his words at our fingertips, and yet I find myself so distracted. I find so many other things more important. Here's a quick example. I don't know if you guys are like me, but every Sunday morning I come into Sunday school, I sit down, and right before one of the guys begins to teach, my phone goes off. Yeah, Ashley said, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it gives me, an, it gives me uh, the time spent 
on average, each day throughout the week that I spend on my phone. And I got that this morning, and it was three hours. Three hours. That Now, here's what's in it. I'm not on Facebook. I don't do social media. So I'm sitting there thinking, what in the world? I can't even remember what I spent three hours a day on my phone doing. But three hours a day I spend on the phone, and I don't have time to spend getting to know my God. The church of Jesus Christ has no excuse. We here have no excuse. This is what we do every Sunday morning. We come together. We have Sunday school where we teach from the Word of God. Scott preaches from this, from this uh, podium the Word of God. We have youth groups. We have systematic the- uh, theology classes. We have Bible studies throughout the week. And as my daddy would say, we're Bible poor. And what he means by that is there's a Bible in every house, if not more than one, and there's apps on every phone. If knowing God is eternal life, just like Jesus said, and those of us here who are trusting in him, we will be knowing him for eternity. If this is the case, doesn't it make sense that we start now? Doesn't it make sense that this is a priority in our lives today? So what do we do? We pray for each other, just like Paul does. We pray that his spirit will will change our habits, and more importantly, he'll change our hearts to where we long to hear more of him from his word. And not just that, but that we know him deeper than we've ever known him before. The second petition that Paul has for this church is found in verse 18. He prays, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, when Paul mentions uh, hope here, I don't believe he's talking about wishful thinking, like, well, I really hope this all works out in the end, or, man, when this, uh, when this life is over, I hope I've done enough. With the world that we live in today, can you imagine living like this? And yet... So many people around us think this way. And unfortunately, so many in the church think this way. Here's an example of this way of thinking from the church. Here's a a Christian author. Now, I use this term very loosely, okay? Christian, that is. This is what they say. Hope is a favorable and confident expectation. It's an expectant attitude that something good is going to happen and things will work out no matter what situation we're facing. Now, I'll tell you, this is worldly thinking. As I was preparing for this, I thought, how would a first century Christian staring down a hungry lion respond to this type of encouragement? Hey, it's going to work out. Good luck. (laughs) If, uh, If hope is not some blind expectation, which we essentially, what the author just said then what is it? Well, we didn't read it, but Paul spends the first part of this chapter, verses 3 through 14, showing us that our hope is grounded. It's grounded in the promises of God of all that he has accomplished for us in Christ. And this is for all of us, not just just new Christians. It's for young and mature. It's for those who are struggling and going through difficult times and for those who are not. 
It's the gospel, and we all need to be reminded, reminded that before, just like Paul does in the first part of this chapter, that before we drew our first breath or committed our first sin, God chose us in Christ. And that through him, we have been adopted. We have been received into the, 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 the family of God as heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And that in Christ, we were cleansed, forgiven of every sin we've ever committed or ever will commit. And that in Christ, we are locked into eternity by the Holy Spirit, sealed, sealed. And I might add, he lives in us. So this is our hope. This is where we stand. Not in the things of the world that have no eternal value. Peter says that this hope that I'm speaking of, the hope of Christ, is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and kept in heaven for us. It is sure. So, in all the hopelessness of this world, we pray for each other that we will daily be reminded of everything that we have in Christ, that he is our hope. Finally, in verse 19, Paul prays that the Ephesians would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night that there are times that I struggle to see all that God is doing through his Holy Spirit in my life. Um, that the reasons behind that are I don't always experience him, right? And I don't always feel his presence. And there are times that I don't even see the results of what he's doing in my life. And if I'm honest, there's times I wonder if he's doing anything at all. Um, but this is what Christians need to remember. This is what I need to remember. That just because we don't feel him working doesn't mean that he's not working. That's the purpose of this prayer, right? He says that you would know, that you would know, not feel, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And in that... We trust that he's working. We trust that he's working because his word promises us that he is working. So when I'm going through uh, difficult times, I go to the promises. And that's the question for all of us. Do you trust or do you know his promises? I want to list three. These are three that I, I pretty regularly go to, and I hope they're helpful. John 14, 16, Jesus tells us, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Paul tells us in Philippians 1, 7, he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is sure of this. And my favorite it's found in 1 Thessalonians. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So if you're like me and in this life of sanctification, that every time you take Two steps forward, you feel like you're taking three steps back. 
If you feel like you're fighting the same old sins over and over and over again, well, I do too. And if you find yourself frustrated and discouraged, then this is for you. Know this, that all that we've discussed this morning in this prayer, that knowing God deeper and better and, and, and knowing his gospel promises and everything that uh, has to do with our conformity into the likeness of Christ, everything that pertains to this life that we call the Christian life, it's his work. And we have life to live. We don't sit around. I like what Schaefer says. We're not sticks and stones. We don't just sit around doing nothing. We have life to live. And uh, we're in this world six days a week and it's a rough world. And we each have things to do, but here's the deal. We must remember that it's all him. It's all him. So we pray for each other. We pray that God will show us that these promises, that the promises of, word, of his word are ours and that we can rest in the reality that he is faithful. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is our life. This is what Paul has called us to. We need each other. So pray for each other. Remember the words at the beginning of our passage. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let this be our hearts today. Amen. Let us stand and state what we believe in the Apostles' Creed.